Welcome to Behavior Babes podcast presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha. Joining us today, we have Dr. Rick Cavina. Hi, Rick. Are you there? I'm here. Wonderful. So far, it's working out well. Um, excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining. Amanda, thank you so much for having me. Well, would you mind starting with an introduction or bio for our listeners to get us started? Sure. How far back would you like me to go? As far back as you want to take us. <laughs> All right. I won't start at birth, but I will start at the beginning of what I consider my the, the start to, to who I became professionally. I was an undergrad in the 80s, and I went to a place called Youngstown State, which is in Ohio. And at the time, I had a professor there named Dr. Stephen Graff, and it turns out this guy, Steve Graff, knew all of this stuff about precision teaching. He was a really big name in precision teaching plus behavior analysis. And I also had some other professors that taught about behavior analysis. And it was in this eclectic program. And I loved the behavior analysis. I loved the precision teaching. So I went up to Steve Graff and said, Steve, how do I learn more about this stuff? He says, oh, you ought to go up to Ohio State and work with this guy, John Cooper. So naively, I go to, to Ohio State, and there I'm working with, you know, Coop's my advisor. Uh, I, I have a GA with Tim Heron, and there's all, you know, Bill Heward's there, Diane Sonato, all of these amazing people, and I, I just lucked out. So I got my master's degree. I practiced for a few years, and I looked around and saw that not many people were doing this. So I'm like, I have to go back and get my PhD and profess and tell everybody how great this stuff is, do research, have students. And I did that. I went back to Ohio State, got another, uh, got my, my doctorate with Coop. And then uh, I you know, had a quick stop at this place called Clarion for a year. Then I went to Penn State and I've been there ever since. And that brings me up to where I am today. Well, thank you. Um, you're mentioning Cooper. You've mentioned Tim Heron and Hewart. And for those who, who haven't heard those names separated, they might not connect that, that is, those are the authors of our now the great white book and now the real great thick white book, right? It's even thicker. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> and my God, it is huge. <laughs> and it's the most updated version. It takes a, a lot of muscle to carry. Um so you said that brings you to what you're doing now. What what are you doing now? Tell us a little bit more about your current day. Yeah, uh, I have been. I, I just feel my I've I've been so fortunate along my career. A few years ago, I have been. For those who don't know me, I do a lot of work in with a, a few research lines. One, I'm very interested in the graphical communication and analysis of behavior and I do research there. I'm also interested in this concept called behavioral fluency, which is part of helping people perform at peak levels. And uh, you know, I'm also interested in just other parts of uh, helping students learn to read better and some other types of interventions. So I've been I've been doing a lot of research in that area since I've been at Penn State. I've been working with I teach undergrads. I work with masters and doctoral students uh, in terms of 
having them work with me, help them do their own research, publish together and run experiments and, and all of those things that you would expect happens as a professor at a university. But a few years ago, I, uh, Penn State had this program where they would teach professors how to commercialize their research. And uh, probably 2013-ish around there, 2012, a lot of people were asking about the precision teaching. There's precision teaching, for those uh, who don't know, has this specialized chart called the standard acceleration chart. And people would always ask me, hey, is there some kind of app that you, you could have for that? Is there some program? And uh, I thought, oh, this is an idea. I can commercialize uh, the, the chart and precision teaching, and I learned a whole heck of a lot about business. I went through this program called Techcelerator. Then I formed a company around uh, these uh, ideas. And uh, a few years after, probably four years, we, we were running the company, doing the whole entrepreneurship, uh, learning, uh, having, learning the true, uh, having bumps and bruises and learning the true lessons of running a business and what that's all like. I successfully exited that company. We sold it to uh, another company and uh, happened, that company happened to be Central Reach. And since that happened, I have also been incredibly fortunate to also uh, work with Central Reach. So that brings me up to the present day, and I feel that I'm exceptionally fortunate because I'm able to do research on the things that I really love. I'm able to get out there and spread the word about these about this information and this technology, and all of it uh, is in the backdrop of, of behavior analysis. And you know, I, I feel that I'm in a place where I can see how the field's changing, where we're going in the future. So that's where I'm at now. I find it really incredible, Rick, the work that you've done. And I think back to one of my first interactions with you, and I'm not, I'm not sure if you remember it, and maybe not the first, but a really formative one. I was having a discussion online with somebody about staff meds and about what technically makes something qualify for the sale, fast minute, each day shuffled kinds of things. And um, people had a lot of opinions. And I reached out to you because I thought, gosh, Rick will probably know this, talking about precision and fluency. And you led me to Steve Graff's work. And you said, hey, check out his work, read through what he's got. And you have always been, starting from that moment for me until now, very connected to the research and to refining and, and improving practices. What I also find, though, incredibly connective with you is your ability to disseminate and share this information. And I didn't know that you had uh, you know, a class that the professors at Penn State were offered, but I think that that's really instrumental in disseminating and getting that, like, you know, from research to practice gap, trying to close it a little bit. Um, when you were doing that, when you were learning about how to commercialize or market, um, did you see a lot of parallels with behavior analysis and kind of what, what, and if not, or if so, I'm interested in that. And then what did you, what did you learn that you didn't already know? Well, those are two very good questions. The, Learning about a business and how it operates is it's eye-opening. Unlike, uh, or I shouldn't say unlike, 
like behavior analysis and understanding systems, you know, businesses are also systems. And, of course, people who operate in there engage and, 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 and emit behaviors and, and do things. And uh, business happens to have certain goals. And when you start to understand the process, you understand everything that's involved in the system, you can see what it takes to be successful and how some people fail at it. I was incredibly naive in thinking that, oh, well, you know, you go into business, if you have a good idea, then that's going to allow you to succeed. But you can have the greatest idea in the world, and if you don't have the right elements, people aren't going to care. And that's, I think that's similar with our field. We have the most powerful behavior change technology out there, period. Nobody, well, people can argue with it, but they'd just be wrong. We have the absolute best technology that, because we're in the science of behavior. And the parallel is, although we have it, it doesn't mean everyone wants it and everyone's going to use it. So I had some wonderful lessons that I learned and, and what does it take to be successful in business. And uh, I, there certainly are parallels. Now, there was a second part to your question, but I've already forgot it. Oh, that's okay. So did I. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I'm sure it'll come back in conversation anyhow. Um, yeah. It was. It, I think ultimately, you know, my my interest is in how do we get the research out there, and you've taken a business approach to that, and have learned some skills out in addition to your behavior analytics skills. Um, but you also, so you also mentioned Central Reach and doing work with Central Reach, and um, I feel like I, I must mention the the conference or the the event that we were just both at. Um, yes. I had. A, I had a blast. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm still reveling in in my time there. It was amazing. I mean, it doesn't hurt that you um, that the event, the venue was in Las Vegas, so also a very fun place <laughs> to be. Right. Um, <laughs> I couldn't help but think of uh, Mark Dixon's work a bit when I was sitting at those slot machines. I was like, oh, addiction, gambling. Yes, it's all mm -hmm. it's all in the back of my head, but it doesn't really kind of come to fruition when I'm in that casino um, <laughs> in the same way. Um, but, you know, at that event, what I thought was super incredible and really neat was the amount of behavior analysis that's blended into um, the current business and business structure. And I, I'm not that savvy with business structures and such, but there's a lot of behavior analysts now behind the scenes there. Um, is yes. that correct? That's correct. Uh, one of the, this is, in, this is what I find so attractive about Central Reach. Uh, when we were acquired, before we were acquired, the, so, so Central Reach was acquired. This, is, this may sound confusing. So there is a, uh, it's called Insight Venture Partners. They are a very successful uh, private equity firm that uh, invests in, in businesses. And they acquired Central Reach. And Central Reach, before they acquired that, Central Reach was made by behavior analysts. There were a group of people down in Florida who got together and saw a need, and you know, they, they did a wonderful job of, of bringing Central Reach to where it is. 
then you know they were acquired, and of course, then we became acquired. And there have been other uh, Central Reach is now acquired, or I guess Insight Venture, who's who's the the ultimate owners. They uh, they're they're crafting this. Uh, they're they're putting people in this organization who are excellent at understanding business, but yet the people who are here, for example, our CEO, uh, he this guy he, he totally gets it. We have this, uh, the, you know, everyone beneath our, we have a C-level team that's amazing, and uh, they have not forgotten why this company uh, or how this company was founded and why it's in existence, and they have uh, been very good at bringing on other behavior analysts. They have been very good at applying many of the principles that we know in terms of behavior analysis to help this company grow. And you know, from, from an insider perspective, I am just uh, incredibly in awe of, of how it all works. Being uh, Going through that tech accelerator and learning about business and uh, having my own business for four years and uh, doing things like draining all of my savings accounts, getting a second mortgage, every little scrap of money that I had, I bet on the business, and I was really in the hole. And uh, it was it was a gamble on this technology, but I figured it was something that was worth getting out there to the world. But I guess I'm kind of rambling here. Uh, let me get back to the point. Uh, I read a lot about how do you become a super successful business, and all of those things that I read I can see happening here. So. The fact that we have a number of behavior analysts that are in a very uh, influential positions and the, and the fact that this whole business is designed to help behavior analysts exceed at their job, uh, it, it's wonderful to see how those two things come together. I agree. You know, you mentioned venture capitalism and entrepreneurship, and those tend to be, I think, for some very exciting words and for others very um, kind of anxiety provoking perhaps. Um, yes. And exciting things can be anxious, you know, can make us anxious. So that's okay. Um, but I think to um, a comment that one of our good friends, uh, Dr. Mary Barbera said, and she said to me, Amanda, you can help a lot of people, but imagine how many more people you could help with a million dollars in your bank. And, um, I think she used a big number because I don't, I, I don't have any of those zeros in my bank account right now. Um, but the point was well taken, right? Like when you have a really great idea and you have a good system and you're able to take those ideas into a system that somebody or an entity can support, um, imagine the reach you can have, right? You know, imagine the number of people who are now coming into contact, for example, with, um, fluency, uh, you know, as a, as a measure, um, with the, the chart. I mean, the chart, when I was in my master's program over, over a decade ago, more than that, um, you know, we had professors who didn't want to talk about the chart. Oh, you don't need it. They're going to take it off the next task list. Oh, you know, maybe you can learn about it if you're ever going to work at a, a facility that's only going to use the chart. But it was sort of this really uncomfortable thing, really, I think. And as a student, if you have a professor who's not prioritizing it, I mean, you're not necessarily looking out, out at new things to learn. Um, so how did you or how do others, you know, how do you go about trying to get people 
um, exposed to and maybe more comfortable. And can you just explain a little bit of what the standard acceleration chart is and how it differs from uh, an equal interval kind of investigation? Sure. Before I answer that question, let me just respond to one thing you said, and that is you, you brought up uh, Dr. Mary Barbera's name. And Mary totally gets the idea about business and how, how great that can be. She's doing an amazing job. Uh, she also has her own podcast, and uh, it's always a delight to, to listen to her episodes and to see what she's doing. So I'm right there with you. She is, she's doing amazing things. Uh, secondly, uh, you asked, how do we get this information out there? How do we disseminate it? I, I'm, I have learned a lot, and I think – let me say that differently. We've all learned a lot across time. I've learned some lessons the hard way. That's the thought that I was uh, thinking, but I didn't get to spit it out the right way. In the past, there there was this – belief, well, if you have something that's really good, then people will use it. And that's, that's just so not the case. You see that time and time and time again. That just because something's good or superior to something else, it doesn't mean people will want that thing or use that thing. And what I have been doing is looking at how are there ways to get this information out there. One, I've written uh, not only articles, but I've written books on this. And as I'm writing books, I, I do write technically, but I've been trying to get better with my technical writing and make it more accessible. It's very hard to be a good writer in, in, in the sense of conveying the information in a way that is digestible, but also being true to the underlying principles of whatever that thing is that, that you were trying to share with people. So that's, that's one uh, thing that I've been doing. I have been presenting a lot more. And every opportunity I get to speak, I'll try to talk about the content, and if it's charting, which is something I do talk a lot about, to try to, ex to, try to, to share the ideas or, or express my thoughts in a way that, is not overly technical that can help people have a real good understanding of why do they need this, why does everybody need this, and how can this be helpful and, and what will benefit them and what will benefit their clients. And uh, I keep on doing, I guess the third thing is I, I continue to do research because while it is good to communicate things, Ours is a field where we have to convince people with data. I think with the chart, if people understood part of the fundamental value of it, it's, it doesn't need, people don't need the evidence because it's factually true that there are things with the chart that exist that are just better than if you're not using it. For example, if you and I sat down, and I'm not going to take you through this, but if we did, I could lay out reasons that are based in fact that you just couldn't argue that, okay, A is better than B or A and B are equal. I'll give you one quick example. The chart quantifies so many meaningful dimensions of behavior change. The linear graph does not do that. And that alone, 
I guess if, if you have to have evidence to show people that that's true, I mean, at face value, who would argue that if you talk about the temperature with using words or if you talk about the temperature in terms of numbers, that it's better to use words than numbers? And like, nobody would argue that. And it's the same thing with, with the chart, that there are all of these dimensions of behavior change that you could quantify that will help you understand that behavior in such a rich context that you're, you're going to understand what's going on. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to act better on that information. But nevertheless, figuring out how can you craft a, a study to show that that's true, and that's what I'm doing. I'm working with some colleagues, and I feel that once there is information that people can say, okay, I get it, here's the study you you did, it's obviously true, and I get that I think will be a way to, to really help get the word out. And I'll say one more thing. A lot of times, you know, people, when I talk to them, they'll say, hey, you know, why isn't everybody doing it? And your point that you mentioned earlier uh, gets to it, and that is a lot of people, a lot of people don't know about this. It's not on the BACB exam. So BCBAs and RBTs aren't being exposed to it because people creating those courses, well, if it's not on the exam, it's not important to share that information, so they're not getting it. It's not in, it's not, it is, uh, so the chart has been in uh, the last, uh, this edition and the last edition of, of the white book, maybe even the first edition too, I forget. Uh, but other texts may be just mentioning it, so there's, there's just not enough good information out there. So disseminating in every way that I can, like a good podcast like that you have, uh, webinars, anywhere that I can speak and, and share information, I'm doing it. Okay, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but you know, that's, that's where I'm at, and those are the activities that I'm engaged in to, to get the word out. Something I really appreciate about the way you communicate, Rick, too, is you're calm, you're matter-of-fact, it's not intimidating, and the chart itself can be intimidating, or something that's unknown or different can be viewed as intimidating. So your delivery, just some you know, feedback you didn't ask for, I think is really helpful in your efforts to disseminate. And um, I think that you know others could uh, kind of look to that sometimes for a model. When I'm thank thinking you. Of yeah, thank, thank you. <laughs> when I'm thinking about the chart itself or when I'm thinking about fluency, all right, even if we just take it back to fluency, mm-hmm. um, I'll ask somebody, hey, is it meaningful to you if I can teach your child to read 10 words? And let's say that their child is currently not reading any or, you know, zero. And they'll say, yeah, that's really meaningful, especially if there are words like stop and, um, you know, wait here or whatever words are functionally relevant. And I'll say, is it important to you that I can teach that to them by the end of their lifetime or by the end of this month or by the end of next year or by the end of this school year? And, of course, that measurement of time really helps people, I think, start to understand effective versus efficient teaching and learning, right? Like we can be effective, but I think one of the beauties and the messages that can get communicated with the chart is how efficient we are being with our teaching. Would you agree with that? Yes, and I love that you talk about those two things, effectiveness and efficiency, because they both have E's and F's in them, but those other letters, 
and the meaning are certainly different. They're not the same. So I, I love that you talk about it in that way. And I also appreciate the fact that, you know, it's one thing to disseminate information, but we have to continue to, um, you know, create the knowledge and to demonstrate the effects. So going out and telling people what great research was done 20 years ago is really important, um, but I also agree that it's important to contribute to the research. And so um, you talked about, you know, being at Penn State and having access to students. Um, how do you get students or how have you gotten students involved in research and uh, any notable projects of the past or current that you are working on with students? Uh, students uh, are, are wonderful. I have uh, I've evolved in my career at Penn State and as a researcher, as everyone does through time. And when I first, early in my career, and I would work with students, I would oftentimes you know, ask them what they were interested in, and I would blend my knowledge with, with what they were doing. And that would bring me in contact with areas of, of research that I would not typically be into. For example, I had a wonderful student who was into parent education, parent involvement, and uh, she did this fa fabulous study where there's this book out there, uh, it's this direct instruction book called Teach Your Child to Read in 100 Easy Lessons, and she examined if you worked with rural parents, could they use that book to teach their children to read? And, and you know, this was an area where there was a lot of poverty, and sure enough, uh, she did this great research, and it was a very satisfying project. In fact, all the work that she did was, I learned a lot. Through time, uh, my approach has been one that now I work very specifically with people who are interested in ABA and precision teaching. Uh, people I've worked with in the past have not necessarily been interested in precision teaching, but uh, I look at myself, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm 53, and I probably have another good 15, maybe 20 years in higher ed. Who knows how long that, or maybe it's less. I don't know. Maybe it's 10 years. Maybe it's five years. But the, the clock is ticking, and I see the research that's involved in precision teaching as really important to me. And I, I, I'm working specifically now with students who share my interests that whatever it is you're into with ABA, uh, let's let's see how does that work with precision teaching. And my my whole take is that everything that we do in ABA should be done with precision teaching. Or uh, I've been working on calling it some other things, but that's a, another conversation. Because it's just a measurement system, and if you measure better, you can do better. Uh, did you want to say something? I think I cut you off. No, I was just chuckling there. Um, and I like how you moved right into, you know, talking about measurement because that was really going to be kind of my next point or question is, you know, standardizing measurement can allow us to talk about treatment outcomes in a way where we're comparing the same thing, apples to apples. And when we have now um, different funding sources, but insurance is one of those, you know, primary funding sources, there is the need and, and there's a need anyhow for us to make sure that we have um, really robust and um, complete measurement um, pictures, right, or learning outcomes. 
And so um, I just wanted to know if you wanted to speak at all or mention anything about measurement as it pertains to precision teaching or the chart. Yeah. One of the reasons why I love the chart and why I love precision teaching and why I love behavior analysis, they are sciences. Behavior analysis is the science of learning. Precision teaching is the science of individual measurement. And, of course, it's been the way it's been designed, it has been applied science. And uh, I, I, love the, I, I love science because it is our most precious thing. It has done more good for humanity than anything I can think of. The progress that we have made as a species, where we're going, uh, it, it, there's, we owe so much to science, and I, I just revere it, and I try to live my life by the principles of being a scientist. Call me whatever you want, second, behavior analyst, precision teacher, direct instruction, whatever. I'm a scientist first, and that is how I live my life, and uh, the measurement system that you see in precision teaching is not unlike other measurement systems in other sciences. When you can standardize your measures, everybody's on the same page. And this shouldn't be a shock to people because that's exactly how our science started off. You know, Skinner and all of his colleagues, they were on a standard measurement system. If you went, you know, if you and I were living back in the 50s when we had this explosion of all of these amazing discoveries. You over in Hawaii, I would be able to walk into your lab, look at your cumulative records, and instantly understand what's going on, or ask you very insightful questions because I would, you and I would be on the same exact measurement system. We wouldn't have to spend all this time trying to figure out, are your is this graph formed properly? Do you, what's your scale? What do these symbols mean? Uh, do you even have a real unit of time? All of these issues that are happening right now in our measurement science would just be gone, and we'd be able to communicate so quickly, and our science would spread so much more, uh, so much more, so much, it would be accelerated. I just, I want that for our field. And I get worked up when I talk about these issues because I want it yesterday. But, I, of course, I realize there's a lot of things that have to happen but before we get to that point. But for everyone out there that, that hasn't explored the chart or in its measurement system, if, you, if you're like me and you consider yourself a scientist first and you live by the rules, then the rules of science say that you can never fall in love with something because something always better is going to come along with enough time. And the best thing we have right now for measurement, as far as I can see, is this, well, the display of our data, I should say, is this thing called the standard celebration chart. It puts us all on the same page. It has all of these features that are designed to show human behavior change in its most exquisite form. And it's just a wonderful system that would allow us as a field to make huge leaps forward and would solve many problems. And I think the faster we get there, the better off we're going to be as a science. 
I couldn't agree more um, that we need to shout it from the rooftops louder, um, faster, and yesterday. <laughs> so since we can't go back, um, it is about being efficient with how we do this moving forward. Um, Rick, I really want to thank you for joining me, for sharing your passion with us. And I wanted to ask before we end our call today, where do people go to get information? Where do they go to get started? What do you suggest? First off, thank you for having me. I appreciate all of your efforts uh, to disseminate behavior analysis. Podcasting uh, takes work and time. And thank you for that. And thank you for having me. Uh, Secondly, if people are interested, it depends on what route they'd like to go. If you want to be formal, you could go to a university that happens to have faculty that are, are working uh, or have knowledge of precision teaching and, and charting. Uh, if, if that's not, you're not ready to make that leap and you want to put your toe in the waters, there are many different ways that you could start learning more about the field and, and, and what it has to offer. I start with podcasts. There are a number of amazing people. Uh, you, you know, Matt Sicoria has some, some great podcasts out there. Uh, you, you can just rattle off all there. There's a number of really good episodes that I've been hearing where people from the field of precision teaching who, who use standard acceleration charts generate information. Look that up. That's, that's a real easy in because you're just listening to people. You're absorbing what they have to say and seeing, you know, is this a match for you? Does it interest you? Uh, other things that you can do, there are webinars that are, out there. Uh, I happen to work at Central Reach. We have a platform that's called the Central Reach Institute where there's a number of just free webinars that people can look at. Uh, my, my colleague Amy Evans and I, we used to run a, a series of webinars and we, we videoed them all. They're, all that content is there for free. There are other platforms with social media that you could engage Facebook has a group called the Standard Acceleration Society. There's probably, I don't know, 1,500, 2,000 people there that are very generous, very kind, and you, know, you could ask questions, you could make connections, you could hook up with local people if there are local people. Uh, that's another venue. Uh, I think there are other sources too, uh, maybe Instagram, Twitter. If you look at some hashtags, you could find some information. Also, uh, in terms of conferences, there are many conferences out there. I'm not the only one talking about precision teaching. There's a whole range of other dynamic speakers who have different experiences, and they're presenting at different places. Uh, Every November, we have what's called, uh, well, now it used to be called the International Precision Teaching Conference. Now it's called the Standard Acceleration Society Conference. And that is held in St. Pete this year. There will be a group of people sharing information. And, of course, there are books out there. Uh, there are articles that are out there. If you, if you Google information, a lot of good things will come up. The, the great thing is there's a, a ton of different resources there. A lot of it is for free. If you wanted to pay for some things, you could do that too. Uh, But I'm noticing more and more uh, people are are outreaching this because uh, as as this technology grows, 
in our sciences grow, people are, are sharing information and, and showing how uh, it's very valuable. So those would be some sources that people could uh, jump in and, and get some more information. And I would also say uh, one last thing. Uh, you can find me on the Internet. I have a few emails. I have a university email. I have a central reach email. And I would be more than happy to, to answer questions to anybody that emails me. Well, thank you. And thanks for that offer for allowing, you know, the listeners or people who are interested to um, not just read and listen, but to even contact and ask questions. The conversations are incredibly important. And so, again, thank you so much for coming on and having this conversation with me today. Thanks for having me. <laughs> and I do have a page dedicated to standard acceleration charts and some precision teaching information at behaviorbabe.com, but I would like to maybe ask for your help in uh, making that a more robust resource. So perhaps I can reach out to you offline and see if we can make that um, something that will help our listeners as well. That would be my pleasure. Awesome. Uh, for anyone who's interested, please go ahead and check out www.behaviorbabe.com.